I want to share God's word with you today um, on the big steps. We're going to keep going on this, okay? This is big steps three. If you've missed the first couple, uh, they are online and you can catch up with those anytime. If you want to follow this with message notes, uh, do so via the app is probably the easiest way. Just simply download the app. If you haven't done so already, please download the Bayside Church Melbourne app. Make sure you put Melbourne or Australia in there. That's really important because otherwise you'll end up with Bayside Church, Granite Bay, California, uh, which is a very good church, um, but you won't find the Bayside Church Melbourne message notes on there. So do that or on the website, just click on media. And uh, if you want to follow this in your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 10, Matthew 10. If you've missed any of these, we've looked at the big step of believing in God and the big step of being born again and the big step of becoming a disciple. So the next big step that we're going to look at is boldly sharing your faith. And I think it's a really important one uh, because many of us are not really sure how we should go about this. And so I want to give you some really good tips today on how we can share our faith In Matthew chapter 10, we're going to read verses 32, 33. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Now, the context here is that Jesus has just sent out the 12 disciples who would become the 12 apostles. He sent them out for the first time to tell other people about the kingdom of God. And, uh, and he was giving them basically a warning here that followers of Jesus, um, who for fear of death or persecution, that, um, that they're not to deny that Jesus is their master in the times of adversity, however bad or um, simple those times of adversity are, we are not to deny the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives or to desert his cause. And so, in other words, Jesus is here saying, even when things get tough, as my disciples, I expect you to be as faithful to me as I am and always will be to you. And that's what you've just proclaimed over us as well, Warwick. As a people who have taken the big steps of being born again, we've been taking the big steps of, uh, of following Jesus, being discipled, baptized, who have counted the cost of discipleship then continue in this way for the rest of your life. And this is a really important truth. When I first uh, came back to the Lord as a 21-year-old, I wondered how long I would follow Jesus this time. I'd been kind of known through my teenage years for getting into this and then kind of turning my back on that. Now this was it. And even amongst my friends is a kind of 19, 20-year-old, you know, I'd follow Jesus for a while, but now I was into this new age thing, and whatever I was into, I would be very evangelistic about it. I'd go and tell everyone, no, 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 don't worry about that, this is it now. And I'd be like that for a few weeks or a few months, and then I'd had enough of that, so I'd go and do something else, you know, and Nandamaga meditation or whatever the case might be, and then that was it. And so when I came back to Jesus as a 21-year-old, a lot of my friends just rolled their eyes and they're like, oh, well, this is Rob's latest thing. Wonder how long this thing is going to last. Well, the answer to that question now is it's lasted for 40 years. And, and, I, have, and I have no plans to change that whatsoever. You'll be glad to know. And so when I, when I first started out again following Jesus, it, it just kind of, I, w- I kept having this thought, 
I wonder how long I'm going to do that. I wonder how long this is going to last. And I, I came to a point where I needed to make a decision, not just to believe in God and to believe in Jesus, but actually to dedicate my life to, to following Him, no matter what happened. Uh, Eugene Peterson, many of you have read or do read the Message Bible, um, which is a wonderful translation of Scripture. Eugene Peterson is a, a Greek and a Hebrew scholar, and he's put this wonderful book together, the Message uh, Bible. He's written many other books too. And one of my favorite books that I've read of Eugene Peterson is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I encourage you to get a hold of it and to read it sometime. To me, that is an incredibly good definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. A long obedience in the same direction. And his subtitle is Discipleship in an Instant Society. And it's so true. Like in a society, we, we want it all now. We got it all now. Everything can happen so, so quickly. And yet for, to be a real disciple of Jesus takes a lifetime. Included in the cost of being a disciple is the responsibility, of course, as Jesus said in these verses, of acknowledging him before other people. I got confronted with this as soon as I gave my life to Jesus as a 19-year-old in Sydney. This is after the truck accident. I started attending the little church where I gave my life to Christ, and uh, the youth pastor was the pastor's son. And uh, he decided, there was about probably about five or six people in the youth group, I was their latest addition, and he decided that on a Saturday afternoon we would all go to the local snooker hall and play snooker and talk to be people about Jesus. I was terrified. I had hated people like what I was about to become. Anyone that would come up and just start, like, you know, without any relationship or whatever, just say, you know, you, you know about God? You know, I remember one person saying to me, have you found Jesus? I said, no, where did you lose him? And I'd come up with all sorts of things like that. And so on this, this afternoon, um, going to a snooker hall to play snooker and then to get to meet people while we were doing that and then to start to talk to them about Jesus. And so I just did not want to be there. And so we played a few games and uh, we tried to have a few conversations and it didn't work well and people left and I was relieved. So, but from there I went back to Western Australia and, and I started to Bible bash my family and, and all of my friends. And, um, and that didn't work well either. In fact, you know, friends and family members who were kind of making a journey toward Jesus would meet me and then take a U-turn and walk away from him. So that wasn't working very well either. I went into a bank. I was now back in Geraldton working on the radio, and that was back in the days when we would get a pay packet once a week, We're normally one of those little kind of yellowy orange envelopes with cash in it. Anyone remember that? It was a novel experience. So you get your little envelope and you'd rip it open, and of course you'd go down to the bank because you couldn't bank it in any other way. Bank shut at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and I go down there and I handed my pay packet to the bank teller, young guy, probably about the same age as I was at the time, and now in my early 20s. And uh, as he was counting my money, I just looked at him and I said, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? And he kind of looked up from the money and looked at me and he said, no. And I said, well, you need to, otherwise you'll go to hell. I kid you not. Anyway, he did not know what to say. He finished counting my money very, very quickly. 
put it in my bank, stamped the bank book and, and sent me away packing. I found out a number of years ago that he had given his life to Christ after that, gone to Bible college and now serving as a pastor. I tell you that story because that is one of my two success stories of that technique of evangelism. The other one was a, a lady, she and her partner were great friends of mine uh, back in the, the hippie days. I had come back to the Lord. She was a very prim and proper South African lady. Her name was Veronica. And uh, we were chatting one day and uh, I was telling her about Jesus. And she was saying, well, you know, I'm, a, I'm actually a very good person. I, I've never done anything really bad. And so I don't really feel like I need to um, have a savior to forgive me. And uh, I said to her, I said, well, the Bible says that all of your righteousness is like filthy rags in God's sight. That was my quote back to her. She told me later that she went home to Tony, her partner, and said to, was so furious. That Rob Buckingham, this is what he just said to me. Anyway, she, was, came, she came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the following Sunday night, she came into our church in WA. And at the end of the service, when, when the pastor gave the appeal, uh, she walked out the front and gave her life to Jesus. So that's the other one of my success stories. I just wanted to get those out there, you know, because I've done that plenty of other times with awful results, but I'm so thrilled that there were two times that it actually worked for me. Um, but on, on other occasions, of course, it was a dismal failure. Just to give you an idea of what I was like back in those days, it's kind of all summed up in the bumper sticker that I had on the back of my car, which said, my God is alive, sorry about yours. I have changed. I have mellowed in my approach. But I still have a huge passion to see people come to Jesus Christ. A huge passion, a huge desire that I believe that each of you share with me. And that together, because so often it's easy to sit in a church community and, and, and look at the pastor or look at the leaders and say, well, it's actually their job to share the gospel. It's their job to grow the church. Can I, can I just break that mindset if you happen to have that? Because it's our job together. Like we are a community of faith here at Bayside. We're a community of believers. This is our church together. Amen? And so the health and the strength and the growth of Bayside Church is something that we link arms together and we're in this together. My heart's cry and passion for the city of Frankston is to see new people coming to Jesus Christ. This city has been renowned for just swapping congregations for years and years and years. When I first started Bayside here, my goodness, what, 15, 16 years ago, we, we inherited people from other churches. Since that time, we've seen people from other churches come, people from Bayside go to other churches. At every season, there seems to be the flavor of the month where everyone goes for a while. But you just wait a while, that'll all change and there'll be another flavor. And all we do is swap congregations in the city of Frankston. Very few people are actually coming to faith in Jesus. Can we pray together and believe together for that to change and shift? That it's not just X number of Christians, but we see people coming to faith in Jesus. And, and it's something that we're all in this together. Say amen. And so let me just share with you a couple of principles today on how I can share 
my faith with other people. There's two New Testament principles. Number one is presence and number two is proclamation. So have a, let's have a look at these two things together. Number one is presence. Our presence in the world is a witness to the world. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 14, 15 and 16. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. There are lots of metaphors in Scripture used to define what God's people are like. Jesus talked about us being salt and light, and we'll look at those in just a moment. But here, the Apostle Paul is referring to believers like perfume, aftershave. Uh, we have a smell, and, uh, and, and it's our job, actually, to smell nice, to smell good to the people who are around us. The sense of smell is incredibly powerful. There are certain fragrances or smells, even to this day, that, that are linked to memories in my mind that take me back. One of them is the smell of, of a packet of tea when it's opened. And, and as soon as I smell that, that beautiful the tea leaves, I'm sitting on a bench in our home in the UK before we emigrated to Australia, and I'm about 11 years of age. I can still remember I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt in England. It was summer. It was on a Tuesday that year. <laughs> and mum had opened the tea. and or, no, She'd asked me to open the tea and I smelt it. And, and so whenever I smell tea today, it takes me back to that. When Christy and I first started going out together, uh, she used to wear eternity perfume. And even to this day, even though she doesn't wear eternity anymore. I mean, I bought her a bottle of eternity and I, I thought, well, this will last forever. <laughs> but false advertising. Uh, but whenever I smell eternity perfume today, if I'm walking down a street and there's a lady walking the other way and she's wearing eternity, I get that waft of eternity and, I, and immediately I'm back in my mind to when Christy and I were dating each other before we got married. Smell is an incredibly powerful thing. The smell of freshly brewed coffee. Yeah. The smell of freshly baked bread. I know it's getting near to lunchtime, isn't it? And you cut it thick, it's still warm, it smells amazing, and then you lather lots and lots and lots and lots of butter around it. But then you can drive past a rubbish tip. And you wind the window up and you put the little thingy on in your dashboard that recycles the air inside the car. Why? Because the smell is bad. And so we ask ourselves, how are we smelling to the people around us in the city of Frankston? Is Bayside on the nose? Let's face it, the church in Australia at the moment is pretty well on the nose because of child sexual abuse and all the other things. We're known really well for what we're against, but most people in Australia really don't know what we're for. So we're a bit on the nose at the moment. So part of our job, I believe, as believers in this area is to start to smell nice to the people around us. What does that look like? 
What do we do? How do we communicate? What do we say? And so on and so forth. What effect do you have on those people around you in your workplace and wherever you go during the week? As I mentioned a moment ago in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave two analogies of what his people are like. He said, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The salt of the earth has to do with the Hebrew salt ceremony when a man and woman were getting married uh, in Jesus' day. The rabbi would be standing there and he would, part of the ceremony, he would have an empty bag and the bride and groom would each have a little sack of uh, salt that was tied. At the salt ceremony, they would untie their salt and the bride and groom would both pour their salt into the rabbi's bag. Their bags were now empty and his was full. He would tie it together and shake it and, and make a declaration of how the two have become one and they're indivisible. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. In other words, your goodness and my goodness are intrinsically mixed up together so that when we are in society, people will know that we are his followers because of our love. Amen. And we start to smell good. A meal without salt should be like a world without Christians. All the worse. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned, spiced, stimulating with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Our conversation, a conversation is interactive communication between two or more people. It's not about you being with another person and you doing all the talking. We all know people like that. Maybe you are like that. If you're like that, stop it. Engage in conversation. If you're in a group and there's one person that's dominating, that person just needs to calm down a little bit and allow other people, particularly the shyer, more introverted people in that group, to have a say. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's it, brother. Come on. <laughs> you know, every connect group has a person like that in it that will try and dominate the entire group. And, 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 and we mustn't be like that. Let your conversation, your interaction with other people, let it be seasoned with salt. Your conversation stimulating. The Christian's part in that conversation has got to be with words that are full of wisdom and full of grace. That is how we're to be known. Sadly, we are not known to be like this in the vast majority of times. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You and I are the light of the world reflecting the life and love of Jesus to a world that God loves and for which Jesus died, just the same way that the moon reflects the sun. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus wrapped up this teaching and he said, let your sh light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So the world is actually supposed to see the good works of the church. They're not to see our moralizing. They're not to, to hear all of the things that we are against. Yes, we can hold strong opinions on various things. But if we want to win this world for Jesus Christ, we've got to, know, we've got to help them know what we actually stand for, not just what we stand against. With the light of the world, let them see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
I've been reading the Faith and Belief Report. It came out two years ago uh, through McCrindle Research. I really encourage you, you can go online, Google that and download it as a PDF and have a read of it. It will tell you the latest research of what Australians think of the church and Christianity, the things they love about us and the things that they don't like about us. The number one thing that Australians love about the church is when we get involved to help the homeless. Go figure. Why are we still the only church that does sleep at the G? But how good that we did that and raised nearly $57,000 this year to help homeless youth in the city of Melbourne. The, the, what if all of the money that's been donated to various moral causes has actually been given to help the homeless in Australia? And, and, and Aussies look at that and go, wow, how awesome is the church? Instead of, wow, how awful is the church? What if we actually focused on the gospel, the good news that God loves everyone and Jesus died for everyone, therefore everyone is welcome and worthy? And share that good news, the gospel, instead of all this other messaging that goes out there that only tends to repel people from the God who loves them and the Savior who gave his life. Many Christians have little or no contact with, no, with non-Christians, and there's no impact without contact. How can we reach them if we don't know them? How can we have influence for good in the lives of other people if we never spend time with them? What we need to understand is that most people who come to faith in Jesus do so because they know a Christian. Relational evangelism is still number one. Lots of other ways to share the gospel. I've done it through radio for years. Praise God for radio and television and podcasts and books and tracts and lots of different things. But most people will come to faith in Jesus when a friend or a family member journeys with them and over the process of time leads them to faith in Jesus. Just out of interest, if, if you were brought to Jesus in that way, through a friend or a family member, would you just stand where you are right now? I want us to see this. The direct influence of a friend or family member. Okay. So that's about 50% of our congregation here. Normally, it's more than that. It's normally about 70 to 80% of people. So you may be seated. And so that's presence. Number two and finally is Proclamation. When a person is ready, they will need to hear the gospel message proclaimed. Romans 10.14 tells us, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? In other words, good works are important, but they're not enough. Good works get people interested they, they open people up and they go, wow, this is interesting. Tell me, tell me more about this. But at some point in time, they will actually need to hear the gospel outlined and proclaimed. As I wrap this up, let me just give you quickly three guidelines to bear in mind as we proclaim the gospel. Number one, be convinced of the truth of your faith. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, Paul says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. If you're not convinced of the truth of your faith, then you will keep it to yourself. Like some people do, they say, well, my, my faith is just a personal matter between me and God. Well, how selfish are you? If you've got something amazing, if you've got something life-changing, you do not want to keep it to yourself. You want to share with other people. Number two, be considerate of the opinions of other people. 
1 Corinthians 10.33, this is from the Amplified Bible. Just as I myself strive to please, and then look at what he says here, to accommodate myself to the opinions, desires, and interests of others, adapting myself in everything I do, not aiming at or considering my own profit or advantage, but that of the many in order that they may be saved. And so when we're sharing our faith, it's not just about me giving my opinion, it's me accommodating myself to the opinions of other people. It's actually me stopping and listening and and asking them why they have that opinion, and then maybe asking good questions about their opinion and, and, and being interested in the interests of others. Finding common ground with people. God and Jesus do that all the way through Scripture. When, when God was trying to lead uh, the Magi, the, the wise men, when He was trying to lead these guys, who were basically, they were, they were a kind of a cross between theologians and astronomers. How would you try and communicate with astronomers to lead them to Jesus? Anyone thinking star? would be a really good thing. And so God goes, let's give them a moving star. The astronomers are like this anyway. There's a moving star. Yeah, I know, I, I can see that too. It's interesting, the star's moving. Let's see where it goes. And the star led them to Jesus. When we find common ground with people, we take them from what they know to what they don't know. Jesus was the master at this. In his teaching, he talked about shepherds and, and, and lost coins and house cleaning and fishing and soil types and conditions and seeds and all of that. Why? He was speaking to a community that was rural and, and basically uh, based around, uh, around agriculture and fishing and that sort of thing. And so he used stories. And people are in the crowd, and they're going, oh, I know about that. There were businessmen there. And so suddenly, Jesus is talking about uh, uh, investment and return and stuff like that. And that's interesting. And so he, he got their interest by talking about things that they were very familiar with. But then in the story, he took them on a journey into spiritual truth that they didn't know about. And we need to do the same. We, we need to find modern parables that help us connect a current generation from what they know to what they need to know. Use parables like about mobile phones and apps and the internet and all of that. I often refer to Bayside as being a giant mobile Christian recharging unit. We come here on a Sunday morning, we all get plugged in, we get built up through worship and the Word, and then when we're empowered by the Spirit, off we go. And our connect groups, they're like mini recharging units. We need to find parables like that. Be considerate of the opinions of others. Find common ground. And then thirdly and finally, be ready when others want to discuss your faith. 1 Peter 3, 15, 16. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Note that. To give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I wish I had read that in the early years of my Christian experience. Gentleness and respect were not high in my mind when I first came back to Jesus Christ. I, I was anything but gentle 
and respectful. And I turned a lot of people away as a result of that. The job of other people is to ask, everyone who asks you. In other words, the spiritual conversation is begun by the other person, not by us. So don't be known as that person who's constantly going in and talking about Jesus. Uh, After a while, people will just start to back off away from you. And so let them initiate it. Our job is to be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you. In other words, we need to do our homework. We study this amazing book on a regular basis. We read it, study it, get it into us so that we have the answers. And if we don't know the answers, be honest. I'm not actually sure about that, but hey, let me try and find out for you. And then our attitude is to be one of gentleness and respect. You can't antagonize and evangelize at the same time. And just on that, you know, we've been um, seeing this, uh, and I'll wrap up with this, um, over the last few months, the, the situation about Israel Folau. I We had our Melbourne pastors dinner on Thursday night, so uh, lots of the pastors get together, City Life, Hillsong, um, Stairway, Crossway, Bayside, and, and quite a few others. We get together three times a year to have dinner and to chat together. And it was interesting that almost every conversation popped up about something to do with Israel Folau. Um, and and I'll, just, I'll just finish up with this because, and I'm not, please don't hear me wrong here. I, don't, I do not want to criticize him as our brother in Christ. From what I can gather, he is a very sincere young man who loves Jesus, okay? I think, though, that his situation is probably very similar to the way I was when I was younger. Uh, a lot of zeal, but maybe not a lot of wisdom mixed with it, okay? And so what we've got to ask is that, Yeah, is he free to put a meme up on Instagram that is kind of a loose interpretation of 1 Corinthians 6? Um, Not really accurate, but kind of a loose interpretation of it. Is he free to do that? Yes, he is. Was it wise to do that? Uh, Probably not. I I said to a number of the pastors there on Thursday night, I said, uh, so you've seen lots of people rushing into your churches, right? I've read Israel Folau's meme and I'm a sinner and I'm going to hell and I've come here this morning because I want to get right with Jesus. We've all seen lots of people do that, right? And everyone was like, no, not one. Now, there might be people in Australia that read that and gave their lives back to Christ or whatever. God uses everything. He even uses me. He even used me when I was being blunt and obnoxious and unwise and horrible and I still have my two wonderful success stories today. How many people did I turn away? Only God ultimately will know that answer to that question. And so um, let's not emulate uh, Israel's behavior. Australians need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most people know they're sinners already. And remember that 1 Corinthians 6 was written to a church, not to a nation. I love the Apostle Paul. He was in Athens. It's in Acts 17. He's walking through Athens, and the Bible tells us that he was greatly grieved as he looked at all the uh, idolatry that was around him. He walked through the city, but he didn't stop and shout on the street corner and call them a bunch of sinners and idol worshippers. In fact, he went to the marketplace And he engaged people in conversation. And out of that conversation, they invited him to go to the Areopagus. The Areopagus was a place where people met 
to discuss philosophy and spirituality. What a great place for a Christian to be. And so he was there. And while he was there listening to other people, then they said to him, now we would like to hear from you. And so Paul got up, and you can read it in Acts 17. He was incredibly respectful. He didn't say, well, I've been in Athens for a few days, and you've got blooming idols everywhere. You're a bunch of sinners, and you're all going to hell. He said, as I've been walking around your city, I've have, I have observed your objects of worship. What a beautiful way to put it. How, in, how endearing. And then he said, and as I was walking around, I saw one thing. It was an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. I'd like to tell you about him. And he shared the gospel, and he got to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, at which point some people laughed at the raising of the dead and walked away. And other people said, we would like to hear more from you about this. What a beautiful way to do it. What if the church in Australia did it like that? Let's pray together.